Well, friends, today, uh, if we haven't lost all of our listeners, we just may. Today, we're talking about women <laughs> pastors. Why are we talking about women so much on the podcast? The last one was uh, women submitting to their husbands. It's kind of, they're kind of complimenting each other. These are like sister episodes yes, to each other. Yes, they are. And, you know, as, as I was thinking through uh, what it, we could touch on, and I sent you guys ideas on this. I just thought, you know, again, these are things you that... You sent us ideas? You didn't send me any ideas? I did. I said, what do you guys think of these? That was it. Didn't I? <laughs> you <laughs> I thought have said it was rhetorical. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, of course not. But the question that we're tackling today is, can women be pastors? I think it's incorrectly asked. Of course they can. Could, may, should? No, may is the word Ooh. of permission that's needed, not the word of... May women that's be pastors. That's actually a really good point. Yeah, because yeah. one's a word of ability, the other's yep. a word of permission. Thank you, Ray. And the answer, friends? Did you gentlemen ever sing nursery rhymes to your kids when they were babies? Nope. Did you really not? I oh. can't sing. Would you twinkle, can sing twinkle, little away. star do be you, one? Do you, I don't know if I ever told you the story, but I actually... Kelly and I realized that I had a different version of nursery rhymes. Which one? For example, in my version, when I was growing up, I was told, like the Itsy Bitsy Spider, yeah. he, I thought he died. <laughs> and the one that I had as a kid, you, he didn't come back. Like the sun didn't come up and he didn't like go back up the chute or whatever. Oh, that's so you sad. That's terrible. Do you want to lie down on this couch and yeah, tell us all about, about it? This? Oscar needs a hug. Forever scarred. <laughs> I have dreams. Yeah. I, I mean, man, if you stop to analyze some nursery rhymes. I mean, a lot of them, they, they're they are pretty crazy. I mean, think about it. London Bridge is falling down. Yeah. Ashes, ashes, right? It's just crazy. Yeah. A Jack and be nimble, Jack be quick, Jack jump over the candlestick. <laughs> what are they teaching What about kids? little Miss Muffet sat on a tuffer eating her curds and way along came a spider and sat down beside her and she killed it with insect spray. <laughs> <laughs> That's my ending. <laughs> I love it. Modified nursery rhymes. Uh, but, but the, you know, Jack and Jill went up the hill to fetch a bucket of water. Jack fell down and broke his crown, and Jill came tumbling after. Like, you know, the crown, you know what that is? Head, right? It's a head. He broke yeah, his head. broke his head. Oh, Tim Hawkins talks about this one, uh, Rockabye Baby. Rockabye Baby in the treetop. When the wind blows, a cradle will rock. When the bow breaks, a cradle will fall, and down will come baby cradle and all. We sing it like it's this beautiful, sweet thing. It's baby dying, falling from a tree. Do you know what it is? What? It's a chestnut. It's, is it? it's, it's the, I, I think, I can't remember. It's the tree that has um, the thing in the little cradle thing. And when it, when it's, it, it falls off at due season and it comes out, I can't remember what it is. I don't think it's a chestnut, but yeah, yeah, that, I think really? that's, it's apparently what it means. Well, babies don't I know probably. that. Huh. <laughs> Imagine the poor scarred kids, you know, yeah. sending them to these abusive songs. But uh, where are we going to go from this? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> nowhere today. But yeah, you know, I, I, I love turning songs that are inspirational into uh, just like abusive songs. Okay, now, wait a minute. You've done this for years. You, remember uh, The Wind Beneath Our Wings? Oh, yes. With uh, Bette Midler. Did, but... what, did you ever know, or did, did you ever know that you're a zero? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's Wait, right. That's what are the words? How do the words go? Wait, did did you ever know, or did I ever tell you? I can't remember. Yeah, did years. you did you ever know that you're a zero? You're unlike anything I ever want to be. Oh, I can fly lower than a seagull because you are the ticks beneath my wings. I can literally hear our ratings <laughs> drop. They're gone. <laughs> we just lost our one and it only listener. It takes a very humble person to uh, uh, attempt to sing something like humble that. Humble and talented. Yeah. 
humble and talented. Those are the words. Yeah. I don't know why I showed up <laughs> any of this today, any but excuse to it sing. was fun. I can't believe you guys didn't sing nursery rhymes to your kids. No. What why kind of Lebanese we... nursery rhymes are there? Something about a camel and their hump? Oh, yeah. Oh, my favorite was one was, I have a camel. I love camel. Do you want to smoke a camel? <laughs> Isn't that what like they call cigarettes? cigarettes? Camels. Yeah. That's Good pretty bad. I guess. Yeah. There's a brand called Camels. I think Ray used to smoke them. Yeah. No, can you guys I imagine? I to smoke a sunset. But can you guys imagine, forget singing nursery rhymes to your kids. Can you guys imagine when your baby's sleeping as a baby and, and crying and you take a pacifier, dip it in honey, and then give it to your baby? Can you imagine doing that? would be that? bad for them, wouldn't it? Wouldn't be? that be bad? Ray, why are you quiet, Ray? Ray, why are you smiling? You're bringing, bringing back <laughs> memories. I don't, I've never someone heard told, Well, someone told us to do that because Rachel used to suffer from colic and scream in the night. And a pacifier would keep her quiet for a little while. So what I did is um, put a pacifier in her mouth and you'd hear, mm, 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 <laughs> and she'd spit it out. I thought if I put honey on it, that would really help. So uh. what I did is put honey on the pacifier and it lasted like twice as long. Mm, 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 like that. So I used to have to go in the dark, pick up the pacifier, which was covered in hair and stuff from the floor, find the baby's mouth in the dark and stick it back in. And her teeth at the front uh, got needed fillings yeah. because sucking the honey through uh, got rid of the anemone. Well, I think yeah. honey's bad for babies for the first yeah, it year. Says it. I think, yeah, it is. Yeah. I think. yeah. That's why Rachel has dentures. <laughs> she doesn't. Poor Rachel. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, guys. That's false. Um, yeah. What's that? That's false. False teeth. False teeth. False, false, false teeth. Yeah. Ray, didn't you clean the fuzz off the the uh, pacifier too? I ripped it car? off with my hands. That's why. <laughs> and, and then you'd find the baby's mouth by hooking it like that. And, and this is in the dark because this is the middle of the night. It's up like five times. Yeah. You know, five or six times. But, Poor Rachel. Yeah. Well, friends, we have a comment from Jack Hart, 22. Here go the numbers again. Not a Christian. This one delighted me. I'm not a Christian or religious at all, but I love this podcast. Wow. I really enjoy your camaraderie with each other and your clear enjoyment and being together as friends. I especially like Easy's humor and Oscar's quick wit and his easy way he explains things. He can definitely be a teacher. Thanks for making this podcast. You oh, left out a couple God. people. Yeah, well, there. I've been left out. Now you know how it feels. Dude, Oscar. that's an awesome one. Isn't Praise that encouraging? Lord. Yeah. I'm oh. serious. I was like, nah, is this no, I thought it was all right. <laughs> oh, whatever. <laughs> but what a blessing. An unbeliever yeah. likes the podcast. So what's his, has, we got his, has we got his name? Jack Hart. Oh, well, yeah. He, he left out when you started making fun of Jack and the... Jack and Jill. Jack oh, and Jill. Wow. <laughs> I didn't even think about it. Jack, thank you so much for that, man. We'll be praying for you that you go from enjoying the podcast and maybe being a brother in the Lord. Yeah. yeah. And you know what, Jack? If you write to us at podcast.livingwaters.com and give us your address, we'd love to send you something from the ministry. Yeah. Yeah. You've been an encouragement to us. And yeah, we do pray the truths you've been hearing will uh, will impact your heart and mind and soul. This podcast is brought to you by the world's greatest sermons and preachers. Ray, do you even remember this book? That autobiography. <laughs> Who wrote it? <laughs> it's a compilation of some of the signature sermons of the greatest Christian preachers in history. So you got the eloquence of Charles Spurgeon, the zeal of John Wesley, the effectiveness of Jonathan Edwards, the passion of Martin Luther, the power of George Whitfield, and the brilliance of our age. You forgot Corey. the final chapter. Which one? The leading woman pastors in America today. <laughs> oh, boy. Yes, that's coming up, friends. Make sure to check that out along with the Evidence Bible, the Evidence Study Bible. i got to remember that, Study Bible. It's we just about listed again. Yeah, at livingwaters.com. All right, Ray. You did what the modern preachers do, livingwaters.com. Why do they do that? I don't know. Can anyone explain that to me, Oscar? There's also something about slowing down your sentence. 
You notice people do that? Like they'd be like, thank you so much for coming. Have a great day. <laughs> yeah, that would be psychological <laughs> problems if they went that slow. But what's with the duh, Mark? Hey, listener. Have you ever imagined yourself having a box of goodies for you to give away to every friend, loved one, non-believer that crosses your path? Well, now you can get one. That's because Living Waters is giving away 10 free boxes of goodies every single week. That's eight in the USA and two overseas. And this is being made possible by a faithful partner of ours that has given us funds to make these resources available to you for free. Each of these boxes has a hundred dollars. That's right, $100 worth of tracks, books, and even your very own podcast mug. Go to livingwaters.com forward slash podcast, fill out the form, and then listen to the end of the episodes where we will be announcing our winners. Livingwaters.com forward slash podcast. Good luck. I don't know. (laughs) And God wants to bless you up. Well, you see that, right, especially with uh, evangelists that we try to separate ourselves from, these uh, TV preachers who elongate every single word. Now, listen, Pastor Philip, our pastor, DeCourcy, he can stretch out a word and make it sound very intellectual, being from Northern Ireland. Oh, yeah. I love him. Oh, so good. Yeah. What is it about accents, Ray? Seriously, I've, I've... known people who have sense like they could listen to you more than people without a New Zealand accent. Yeah, I think it's just intriguing. Haven't you seen that? Even in open air, people get fascinated with the accent. It's very strange. Same with Americans that go to New Zealand or Australia. Very fascinated by the way they talk. Isn't it weird? Like we don't detect that that we have an accent where others do. It's like sin. Yeah. Mm. Do you, I mean, Ray, when you would hear or watch television because the bulk of it would be like the California type accent. Did it stand out? Like, was it? Did it? Does it sound weird? I can't pick California accents like I can someone from Louisiana. Oh yeah, you know, or, or hey, nobody, nobody. I was down south. Nicely, Is it like oh, a default that the California accent? Is like the best one. I mean, it's what we make our movies in. It's what you write all your books in. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that big with a New Zealand accent. Well, friends, today, uh, if we haven't lost all of our listeners, we just may. Today, we're talking about women (laughs) pastors. Why are we talking about women so much on the podcast? The last one was uh, women submitting to their husbands. It's kind of, they're kind of complimenting each other. These are like sister episodes to each other. Yes, they are. And, you know, as as I was thinking through uh, what we could touch on, and I sent you guys ideas on this, I just thought, you know, again, these are things that... You sent us ideas? You didn't send me any ideas? I did. I said, what do you guys think of these? That was it. Didn't I? (laughs) I thought it was rhetorical. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, of course not. But the question that we're tackling today is, can women be... Pastors. I think it's incorrectly asked. Of course they can. Could, may, should. No, may is the word Ooh. of permission that's needed, not the word of... May women that's be pastors. That's actually a really good point. Yeah, because yeah. one's a word of ability, the other's yep. a word of permission. Thank you, Ray. And the answer, friends, is no. Thank hey. you for joining us. <laughs> we'll see you here next time. Yeah, uh, but no, in all seriousness... Yeah, uh, but no. Uh, yeah, uh, but no. What in the world? Can I? What a string of nonsensical <laughs> words. Uh, let, awesome. me, let me bail you out of this Oscar, for a minute. Oscar, please help him. Help. Uh, I love what you just said. 
Ray, and I think it's so important. Often when we approach these subjects, I don't want to just talk to those who disagree. I also want to talk to those who agree and recognize how we can analyze our position and self-correct because in the midst of those of us who believe in a complementarian role, not only in the home, but at the church in which men are called to be pastors and preachers from the pulpit, we often, what we do is we act as though women don't have the capability as though, again, we talked about this in the last episode, are lesser than in ability, capacity, or something in that nature. And the reality is is that women are equally as capable of understanding the Word of God, of communicating the Word of God. But God, in His design, has given the role of pastor to men, not to make women lesser than, not to speak to their inability to, but to speak to his glory and his relationship between himself and his bride, the church. Yeah. And, and I think that's really important because as we talk about it, we don't want to diminish the value of women, the gifting of women. I mean, you think about the reality that when, when the scriptures talk about the spiritual gifts, every single one of those gifts is applicable to both men and women. But the role of the pastor is given by God to men. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, you have different perspectives on that. There are some that will look and say, hey, look, the gifts are really applicable also to women. And it's just the role that the man has as a pastor and, as, and so on and so forth. But the, the thing that's important to know is that, you know, within these, within these are the offices that are given where these gifts are married to uh, where they're exercised. You know, and so it's it's very important for us to to again ask what the scriptures say. When we talked about a marriage, we talked about egalitarianism and complementarianism. We want to kind of flesh those out a little more today and and to look at those. But Ray, we've seen obviously a surge in women pastors in the church today. Do you think television has something to do with this? Examples of women preachers on TV? What's I think there's a surge of everything women. There are women rugby players. Hmm. I mean, if, any, if anything is unfeminine, it's a woman in a scrum playing rugby. Right. I mean, it's just like, what's going on? Yeah. Uh, but there's women um, rugby commentators, women referees, everything women, and it's just the way of the world, yeah. uh, which started in the 60s with women's liberation break free from the, from the kitchen. But the church has got nothing to do with the world. Yeah. This is God's order, and that's what we look to, the authority of Scripture. And this is not to say that women can't teach. Right. right. Women should teach. Hmm. Sure. Uh, there's a place, though, for where women are to teach. And this is what it says in Titus 2, starting in verse 3. It says, Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. And it, and it goes on to be uh, self-controlled and things of that nature. So women are to teach, but not to be in a, pl- a position in a place inside of a church where they are pastors uh, and leading over other it's a congregation. Men. Right. Yeah. And and the, and we find this in First Timothy two and eight through fifteen, and it's particularly in, in verse twelve where Paul says, "And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man." Uh, but to be in silence. And that's not talking about a woman never talking, but in the capacity of exercising authority and teaching over men. And I think that, you know, we've gotten to a point as the church where we have become sort of desensitized to things that are happening. You know, you go back to the early church and I assure you, 
it would have been unthinkable for a woman to function in the role of, of a pastor, an elder, an apostle. It, it just was not something that you would have seen when we look at both what scripture says and what history testifies to. Yeah, and I actually think there's two two ways of looking at that. You're absolutely right. In addition to that, it's important to recognize because somebody might say, well, man, that, that sounds really suppressive towards women. But also, as we look at the New Testament and we look through church history, Jesus in the New Testament elevated women mm-hmm. in their value, worth, role, and responsibility within the church in ways that had never in history had been seen. I mean, the reality that Phoebe, for example, is accredited as delivering Paul's letter to the Romans. That doesn't mean she just simply took the letter and handed it to the Romans. To, to be somebody who is entrusted to be a messenger, a deliverer, was of, of great value and worth. It was of great dignity that she would be able to do that. And it would have been looked down upon at that time by the Greco-Roman world. And so in other words, while... The scriptures make it clear our roles and responsibility, both in the church and the home. The scriptures also elevate women and give them equal dignity and worth, especially the way Christ talked and, and displayed women in ways that history had never done before. Yeah, that's so true, Oscar. Uh, in fact, John Piper speaks to this. He said, it's not a problem for a woman to minister in hundreds of ways in the church, but the office of leadership and teaching of men is preserved for spiritual and godly men. Why didn't Jesus choose women as some of his apostles? The 12 are all men. That was intentional because they are all given incredible authority to found the church. They are like pastors, only they have more authority than pastors. But Jesus did call women and he called them into significant ministry. Read the beginning of Luke 8 or see the role of women at the resurrection. Jesus broke significant taboos in the way he elevated the role of women. It was countercultural to have Mary sitting at his feet learning like a rabbinic student at the feet of his teacher. And it was countercultural for him to have women so closely attending him, providing for his needs and for him to be so merciful to the woman of the street. Jesus was pro-woman to the max, but he did not choose women to be apostles. That wasn't because he was, ens- he was enslaved to his times. It was because in coherence with the rest of the Bible, and then he cites a n- number of passages, he believed that it would be healthy for the church and the family if men assumed the role of Christ-like, humble, caring servant leaders, and if the women came in alongside with their respective gifts to help carry his leadership through according to those gifts. And that's interesting about the story of, of Mary sitting at Jesus' feet is that it's another female that tells her you're, you're, you're supposed to be over here cleaning. You're supposed to be in the kitchen. And it's Jesus that rebukes and says that she's in the right place. And I think that as complementarian churches, we ought to fight to continue that example that Jesus lays, which is to say that women by no means will we say that women are just babysitters in the church, that they're just mentors of other mothers. Women ought to be built up in their theological understanding of God's word of truth. They should be equipped and guided in their spiritual gifts. But again, the scriptures make it clear in regards to what a role a pastor has and who that role belongs to in the church. And that is a distinguishing thing in complementarianism. Yeah. So Mark, I I asked Ray the question earlier, would you agree that it's not just, as I said, you know, television, people see the example of women preachers, but do you think it's the culture at large where feminism has taken such a hold? I mean, obviously it's not just that, hey, women want to do what men do. It's women want to be men, like literally, right? I mean, I don't know if you guys saw the recent article about 
how now they're, they're working on trying to get live transplants of uteruses what? from from women to men. Did you guys see that? I did not. Yeah, this is, yeah, I, okay, I think Ken sent that to us, right? Yes. Yeah, th- this is so disturbing. So do you think that's what's encroaching upon the church? Uh, that women in the church and the church is becoming like, well, I guess, you know, women should be pastors. Because a lot of it is, it's, it's emotion too. Yeah, when we do not uh, meditate on the truth of God's word, we're gonna believe lies are true. And when we are filling our mind with uh, the nonsense that the world is feeding us, then of course we're gonna believe that it is true. It's said long enough and it's said loud enough, we are gonna highlight it inside of our hearts and we're gonna echo it from the pulpits. We need to be careful you know, in the, in the midst of this, right? The Bible does not restrict uh, women from uh, teaching children either, who could be male, mm. right? There's just an order. And I think it goes back to what Oscar had said with our last episode, which is that there's a divine design on how God created males and females. So it goes all the way back to the created order on things, right? So it's not one of ability, uh, like we talked about just about 10, 15 minutes ago. It's one of God's design. And if we stick to what God does best, which is God being God, well, then we're going to follow suit and see that things fall into place. When we listen to the world— we're going to be in shambles. Somewhere there's going to be a breakdown. So it's, and without apology, we just need to get back to what the word says. If the word says it, that that really is it. It settles it. We don't need to apologize to uh, people for what God says. Unashamed, this is what scripture says, and that's that's really it. Yeah. I'm going to talk about something you guys probably don't know what it is. Have you ever heard of black ice? Yes. Yes, of course. Yeah. Have you ever been in it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think I have. Yeah, it's, it's something that's foreign to California, but on the other side of the country, people know that you can't see it on the road, but when you put your brakes on, you just Good don't, luck. there's no traction. That's, mm. what, that's what happens when we lose authority of God's word. It's a slippery slope. There's no yeah. brakes. I mean, where do you stop if you allow woman pastors? Can a homosexual be a pastor? Yeah. You, you, there's, there's no stopping because you can justify it in anything. Someone once said the Bible's like a fiddle. You can play any tune you want on it, and it's true. You've got to look at scripture and interpret scripture with scripture. Yeah. That was the that was the point that D.A. Carson, uh, John Piper, and and Dr. Timothy Keller made when they started the Gospel Coalition because they got a lot of pushback because they in, in included in the Gospel Coalition was complementarianism, and people were like, "Well, isn't this supposed to be central to the gospel? That's not a primary issue. That's a secondary issue." And they responded and said, "You're right. It is it is a secondary issue." And what they meant by that is simply that a primary theological issue makes it clearly distinguished and separate from Christianity. Example, we would not call Mormons Christians because they do not have a Trinitarian view of God. They have a different understanding of who Jesus is and who God was. So that's primary. Secondary are tertiary issues that you can hold different views and still be a believer. And so while they recognize that this is a secondary view, the point that they made is that while it's a secondary view, it also makes great changes and becomes a type of slippery slope where everything else begins to move with it. And so for them to draw a line there and say, this is a one of our distinguishing values is to recognize the importance of, as you put it, Ray, not driving on, on black ice. And I love that mm-hmm. analogy that you just used. Wow. You know, I think, I think two of the things that, that really grieve me are number one, qualifications ad nauseum. And what I mean by that is we're constantly almost in an apologetic type posture 
just trying to like, you know, explain everything so as to appease the culture in a way. Now, again, I, I, I understand sensitivity and I've spoken to that. We have to think about the culture. We have to be, be caring and loving in the way that we do it. But I think sometimes we just, we, we want to kind of, you know, sort of, okay, I feel bad, but you know, again, as Christians, we have to stand on the authority of God's word. There's nothing to apologize for. And, and sometimes the world reflects our posture. And that they they begin to kind of like look at the church as weak and non-authoritative and like we've made it up. Mm. Like this is our preference, you know? And and I think uh, the, the other thing that, that really grieves me is the fact that we sometimes find ourselves sort of, you know, giving a pass to things that aren't done in, in a harsh, forceful way. So in other words, this isn't something that's like, so radically uh, inflammatory, maybe like we would think like, okay, well, you know, a homosexual pastor. And so we might look and just say, well, it's come on, it's just a woman. She, she's a person too. And she's just, she, she just wants to minister God's word. And listen, rebellion doesn't relate to tone. It doesn't relate to posture. It doesn't relate to uh, opinion of the world. You can be the most rebellious in the most gentle way. I can look at someone and I can say, I hate you so much. <laughs> I mean, it's still the same thing. It doesn't matter how gentle and tender I am. And friends, I'm just saying we have to recognize that God's word is not mincing any kind of words when it talks about God's design for the church. This is not a light thing. We can't tamper with it. In 1 Timothy 3, 2, it says, therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. Right. Well, it's kind of hard to throw female, right. you know, in, yeah. in, in, the, in the midst of that. And then we have First uh, Timothy 3, uh, 4 through 5. It says, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Right. That's we good. see it in Titus 1, uh, 5 through 6 as well. If a man, in verse 6, if a man is blameless, the husband of one wife. Again, reiterated, there as well, even in the role of deacons, you know, in, in terms of the, the role of leadership. First uh, Timothy 3, 8 through 13, likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanders, and so on. And then in Acts 6, 1 through 3, when we see the first deacons that were raised up, they said, therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation full of the Holy Spirit. When Christ chose his apostles again, he chose, he chose men. So this is God's design. And that's, and that's where that slippery slope comes into play because the arguments against it put you in questionable water. I mean, what the, some, of the, some of the quote unquote best arguments that you'll hear are the most common ones is that, oh, well, Paul, you know, he made a mistake. Okay, now you're questioning wow. the inherency of scripture. Right. Or, well, that was, uh, that was only culturally relevant for where he was living in the Greco-Roman world. But now you ignore the inerrant role that is back to Genesis and God's role in, in Adam's relationship with Eve and God's role with creation and Christ's role with the church. You see, everything falls apart when you oversimplify to try to argue away from this God-ordained way of running the church. Yeah. Ray, this is something that I think has caused the world to look in at the church and sort of see us as confused. And I think a lot of times we kind of get to a place where we're almost relativistic 
when it comes to certain things in God's word. Like, oh, that's your view. That's my view. I hear what Oscar's saying. I mean, there are things that are difficult, that they're hard to fully grasp. And so we can deal with things like eschatology or, or ecclesiology, right? Church leadership and, and how you function in that way. And, and there are some difficult things, but don't we need to be careful that the things that are plain and clear and simple, that we don't make it look like, hey, it's no big deal. We can believe whatever we want to believe. Well, when you do some research on the subject, go to YouTube and just type in, can women be pastors? You get all sorts of confusion. One lady was saying, this is Paul writing to Timothy, and Timothy was being led away by rich widows, and it was just to him personally. Right. It wasn't to the church. And there's other stuff. You think, what's going on here? Yeah. And so no wonder um, people aren't confused when they don't just come look at the basics of Scripture and say, this is what it says. Let's just believe it. Yeah. Yeah, and that's so key because we can get in a place where Christianity no longer looks like it should look. And I'm talking I'm not talking about individuals, right? We talked about this in the marriage episode where we're not all to be cookie cutters, right? A woman submitting to her husband and having a gentle, quiet spirit doesn't mean that she's this wallflower, right? And and introverted and and whatnot. We're all different in that regard. Mark, we've known some women with with extraordinary gifts, and we've seen them use those gifts to to bless other people. Why is that though not enough? Do you see it as a thing of covetousness? Like I want that. Like a, a man can covet. I want to. I want to carry a baby. We're probably going to see it soon if it's possible. I don't know medically or whatever. They're saying <laughs> it is by you know planting a uterus. But I'll, I'll tell you, I saw a. Uh... I was provoked to open air preach when I was listening to a woman share the gospel with some people. Mm. And that, seeing her share the gospel with some people, provoked me to get up on a soapbox and to preach in the open air to all the people uh, that were there. I wanted to address something that I uh, read here on uh, gotquestions.org, which is a great website that I think that we all commend to people that are out there. Yeah. And it's, it's talking about, too, something that Oscar had said earlier, dealing with Phoebe, Priscilla and Phoebe in the New Testament, Acts 18. It says, uh, Priscilla and Aquila are presented as faithful ministers for Christ. In verse 18 of Acts 18, Priscilla's name is mentioned first, suggesting to some that she was more prominent in ministry than her husband. The detail of whose name comes first is probably inconsequential because in verses 2 and 26, the order is reversed from that of verse 18. Did Priscilla and her husband teach the gospel of Jesus Christ to Apollos. Yes, in their home, they explained to him the way of God more adequately. We see that in verse 26. Mm -hmm. Does the Bible ever say that Priscilla pastored a church <laughs> or taught publicly or became the spiritual leader of a congregation of saints? No. <laughs> no. As far as we know, Priscilla was not involved in ministry activity in contradiction to 1 Timothy chapter 2, 11 to 14. In Romans 16, 1, Phoebe is called a deacon, or a servant in the church, and is highly commanded by Paul. But as with Priscilla, there is nothing in Scripture to indicate that Phoebe was a pastor or a teacher of men in the church. Able to teach, air quotes, is given as a qualification for elders, but not for deacons. And these are the texts that we just uh, yeah. read not too long ago with you and myself. They're easy. That's good. Yeah, yeah that, that's, that's so important to remember that you know, we can't take texts and just make them say things. You can't take a narrative or you can't take a, an example from the Old Testament. Uh, one example people point to is Deborah. They'll say, well, look, Deborah, you know, was a leader. Okay, uh, yeah. <laughs> Show me an example in the New Testament. Just because there was an anomaly for God's purposes. And there, look, I, I don't know, there are different views on this. Some would say that could have been in part a, a judgment of God. Some will, you know, 
point to Isaiah where it says, and women are leaders over them in terms of, of women and children are leaders over them in, in terms of judgment. Whatever the case, this doesn't mean that we now take an account in the Old Testament and make it normative for the New Testament where we have explicit teaching on something. And so, you know, that that's the danger is taking things and and isolating them like that. I think, you know, talking about the culture and taking precedence, I think the culture really wants to blur the lines between men and women and their roles and their responsibilities and the way they interact with one another. And that's just foreign to human history. And it's certainly foreign to the scriptures. The scriptures embrace the beauty and reality that men and women have specific roles, especially in the church and in the home. And it's not... As you know, I, I, I've I've read a handful of guys that talk about this, and I think one of the most persuasive aspects of it is they don't talk about it as a restriction, rather an invitation to reflect the glory of God. And I think that's what's really important because often we we do approach this as a well, they're wrong and we're right, and without a doubt, we need to draw an important line here. But we also need to talk about it about the beauty of God intending to make even the details of the organization of the church speak to the glory of God, speak to the different roles that the Father has in the Son and the Son has from the Trinity. I mean, there's roles and responsibilities that are there, right? And so in that same way, we ought to, I like what you're saying, like we shouldn't apologize for this. We should celebrate it as as God creating something beautiful that reflects his glory and distinguishing roles within that. Wow, that's good. You know, Ray, one of the things you'll hit on often when you're sharing the gospel on the streets as you take people through the commandments is idolatry and making God in our own image, shaping God. I like the way that you you, you say that because that's what it is. It's a fashioning. Do you think that that this can play that type of role in people pursuing things that aren't in God's word? Could it be an idolatry of, you know, God willing to make an exception because this is so important to them or, you know, they just want to be be useful or have significance or whatever? Could it be a form of idolatry? I think so. It, it really comes back to a lack of fear of God. I would not twist God's word in the slightest. I don't care how I feel about it and my concern about the culture hating me for believing this, if God's word says it, I should believe it because I fear him. Anything below that is a form of idolatry. Yeah, and and the destruction that results from that. You know, people, again, make light of things. I think of what, what Nathan said to David after he was caught, you know, and his adultery was pointed out, that he gave the enemies of God an occasion to blaspheme his name. Yeah. And that should terrify us, you know? And and I think, I don't know, I, I'd love you guys to speak to this a, a bit. I think the world knows when Christians are not being authentic to Christianity, right? I mean, they, they can tell when, hey, that's not what your faith really teaches. Why are you doing that? And it almost makes them suspicious, don't you guys think? Absolutely. Uh, I, so Christopher Hitchens was being interviewed and he went up against. Could you say uh, who he is for those? Christopher who... Hitchens is, uh, is a renowned atheist uh, in the early 2000s. He wrote a book called Letter? God's Not Great. God is Not Great. There's a few like that. There's a few, yeah. Very uh, a controversial man. He ended up dying of cancer. Very likable and yeah. very eloquent. Yeah. Very, very, eloquent. very witty, yeah. Um, British guy. And uh, anyway, he, he's, he, in this book that I read, 
called The Faith of Christopher Hitchens, written by a Christian. Did you read it before or after, when you were an atheist or this when you This is a Christian, Christian book. I read it as a Christian. Okay. It's a great book. Yeah. He doesn't claim that, that Christopher Hitchens died a believer at all, yeah. um, but he got to, at the end of his life, he got to go on a road trip with this believer. Mm. And so the believer was asking about the different cadence and responses that he would give based on the person he was he was debating. And he said that, you know, when he went up and debated, I think it was Jesse Jackson, he... Christopher Hitchens talked about attacking mm -hmm. Jesse Jackson's character and not what he believed because he knew that Jesse Jackson was a fraud. Wow. He didn't believe that Jesse Jackson believed what he said yeah. he believed. But when he went against this guy who on their road trip with, he was like, I I had to I had to argue with what you were saying mm. because even though I disagreed with you, I knew you believed it at your core. Wow. And uh, and so that's kind of to the point which is like we need to be authentic with what we believe. And, and be clear in expressing that because it it's a testimony mm. to the clarity of truth. Yeah. What was, do you know any idea what his relationship was with his brother? Because I think his brother was a pastor, Peter Hitchens. I don't think he's ever been a pastor. He's been a politician and an author. But he's a believer, uh, right? He is a believer. He's currently a believer. And they debated each other, I think. They, they did a debate. They did over politics though. Was not that over on religion. politics? Yeah, it was oh, over politics. Okay. If I remember yeah. correctly. If I remember correctly, uh, the book is really good. The Faith of Christopher Hitchens, written by a Christian. Didn't he used to write for Vanity Fair? I believe so. Yeah. 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 And, and so my point in all that is saying that, you know, when we as a church begin to concede so that the world would accept us, it looks pretty ridiculous, almost as ridiculous as, you know, when, when churches try to do cool like songs and raps and stuff on stage. <laughs> I saw a few of them lately. They're so oh, atrocious. Man. And the world looks at that and they're like, ah, you're trying too hard there, buddy. I hated <laughs> like, that. As an atheist, I hated when, right? when churches It's embarrassing. Did that. It is. And, and I think, you know, it's the same thing. And Ray, I love, can you, I don't know if you can recount it, but you talk about how we need, we need, you know, preachers to thunder from the pulpits again. And do you remember that bit? Yeah, was... I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but yeah, we need, need to thunder God's righteousness, his holiness, his justice, and his truth from pulpits and make sinners tremble in fear. Let the lightning of God's law and the thunder of his wrath cause them to run to the cross. Mm. But yeah, um, yeah, that's it. There's a completely blank mind. There was nothing. <laughs> <laughs> there was something sitting there and it just went empty. Yeah. Mark, would you say that in our modern culture that has blurred the lines between gender and and that has you know highlighted toxic masculinity? Of course, there could be toxic stuff within masculinity, but you know what I'm talking about, and and the the way it's been politicized. And do you think that men have kind of gotten to a place where they almost feel embarrassed to display godly masculinity, which we're called to display? Yeah, I, I think it's a sign of God's wrath upon uh, a people, upon a nation. Mm. And I, I think we see that in Romans uh, chapter one easily played out, that not not only does that happen, but you see a change of the voice and a change of the mannerisms, a change of the way they dress and the way they act around uh, different people. Yeah. Uh, so I, I would agree for sure. You know, the, I found I found that file was over oh, here. Oh, yes. That's all right. We moved yeah, on. <laughs> there, there are certain things that, that, that you get accused of when you become a Christian. People come up and say, you really believe Noah's Ark? 
Do you believe Jonah and the whale? And you've just got to say, ah, if Scripture says it, I believe. And I believe in the submission of women and within marriage and they shouldn't be pastors. And it's all unashamed, ashamedly. Yeah. That's it. We're not, we're not misogynists. We're not looking down on women. This is just God's order and that's all there is to it. So there's, and I think they respect you for that, even if they disagree. No, I think we've talked about it before. You know, a, a good example would be John MacArthur when he would go on Larry King Live. Hmm. And you'd have this panel of just guys that were just talking nonsense. And I always wondered, why does Larry King keep having MacArthur on? Because I know he doesn't agree with him. But you come to conclude he respects him. You know, I love it what it said about Stephen when he was speaking to, to the crowd that was about to stone him. It says, they looked at him and they saw his face like the face of an angel. <laughs> you know, there was something about his countenance. And I think when Larry King would hear MacArthur speak, even though he didn't agree, he could tell this guy, he's got something there that's different than all these nonsense talkers. And that's the way Herod was with uh, John the Baptist mm. as well, continually would call for him to listen to him. Yeah. And who, who was the atheist in, was it England, that would call for the Christian to come? This is a story that you tell, Ray, right? Knowing that you believe it, like he believes it, and that's why I like to- Hume. Um, oh, was, was it David, David Hume? David Hume. Oh, what, with uh, Whitfield. 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 He ah. says, uh, I don't believe what he says, but he certainly does. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, that's right. Good. Yeah, and I would love MacArthur's refreshing answers. Are you telling us that homosexuality is wrong? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> While the other guys would dance around it. And yeah. yes, and now let me tell you why. I yeah. just love that clear cut yeah. you know, type of answer in that it's, it's, and again, you don't have to be chauvinistic with it. You don't have to be arrogant and prideful. It's that gentle word that breaks a bone. Yes, and let me tell you why. It's not my opinion. It's not what I prefer, feel, desire, want. It has nothing to do with it. The God who made me said this, and either I'm my own authority or God is the authority. That's right. You know, And you flip it around, right? What's the antithesis? He uses the Bible as his source of authority, but we all have a source of authority. So if you're going to come along and say that homosexuality is okay, by what authority do you make such a stance? Well, it's just what you want it to be, whatever you feel it to be. Postmodernism at its finest, on display. This is textbook definition. Well, yeah. if that is okay, well, then what's wrong with marrying a book mm. or marrying your dog or marrying yourself, as we've seen inside the news, or a woman marrying a tree or in India, they marry cows? Yeah. Well, why is anything wrong, you know, when— we throw the Bible out, everybody's left to do that which is right in their own eyes. Right. You wouldn't marry a cow because you get free milk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's so good, guys. And look, the bottom line is, is we've been talking about the two things we referenced. Oscar really kind of drove it home in the marriage episode about complementarianism and egalitarianism. And, and those are really the two opposing views. Uh, our friend, Matt Slick at Karm.org, he said, summarized by the Council of Biblical Manhood and womanhood, complementarianism is a viewpoint that God restricts women from serving in certain church leadership roles and instead calls women to serve in equally important and complementary roles. And I love the fact they use the word equally and the word important because, hey, Paul made it clear the body is one and God has given different members to fulfill certain functions. And that should make us rejoice. When you want to break out of that, you're going back to Satan's ploy in Genesis in the garden, right? He, 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 he brought in the element of discontentment. As God said, you can't eat of every tree of the garden, right? It's like, no, you want to get the one you're not permitted to have. That's, that's what he was stirring him up toward, you know? And so you either, you either try to 
take God's place by knowing good from evil, being the arbiter of what is right and wrong, or you yield to what the Lord says and rejoice in it. That's good. You know, John Piper and Wayne Gruden were the founders and the authors of, of that statement. Mm. And he was also, Piper was one of the founders of the Gospel Coalition. I was listening to the panel that they were talking about. And this is, and Kathy Keller was on this panel too. And she talked about, and I think this is value talking about the confidence that we have. So Kathy Keller got saved in an egalitarian circle and decided that she wanted to pursue pastoral ministry. And she went off to Bible college, started reading the scripture, and she became convinced through the scriptures that the, the, the role of pastor is not for women. And so she changed her. She was in a presbytery type position with her church. And so she changed her kind of roadmap from pastoral ministry to, to something else. And the presbytery gathered uh, 300 men and they get her there and they're like, why did the, why did you change your, your, your desires? And she said, well, cause I've read the scriptures and being a pastor is not for women, it's for men. And she said that men started booing and hissing her wow. in the middle of this meeting. But that's the kind of clarity and confidence in God's word that we have to have no matter the boos yeah. and no matter the hissing. Yeah. Amen. That's good. Yeah. And, and finally, friends, the flip side of that is egalitarianism, which uh, Christians for biblical equality define as uh, the viewpoint that there are no biblical gender-based restrictions on ministry in the church. And again, I, I would vie this is a sign of the times. It's been strengthened and fueled by what our culture is doing. And I'm, I'm telling you, friends, it's a slippery slope. You go there, you've got to go with homosexuality. You've got to go with transgenderism. You've got to go with abortion. You've got to go with euthanasia because that's what the culture is doing. It's a terrifying place to be as the church. We can't go there. We must bow to no one but God in his authority revealed in his word. Wow. How do we go on for 45 minutes talking about that? But we did, friends, and we hope you've been encouraged. Um, this was an act of worship. Again, no apologies. Uh, we hope you, you've seen our hearts. We hope we've dealt with this with respect and gentleness, but with masculine truth, because that's what we need. God has called men to lead among his people in the church, and uh, we hope today we've, we've led you in a way that honors the Lord. There you have it. Thank you for joining us. Remember, don't forget to send us your comments, podcastlivingwaters.com, thoughts, ideas, podcast thoughts and ideas. We want to know what kind of podcast you'd like us to do and, uh, and any input from you. Don't forget to give us a rating and comments too on the platform you're listening at. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you here next time on the Living Waters podcast, where we have no idea what we're doing. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. I have no idea where that ridiculous saying came from, but friends, we do have winners. Winners for the podcast giveaway. That is the Living Waters podcast. We have Angela from Yucca Valley, California. Yvonne from Crestline, California. Brooke from Clayton, North Carolina. Andrea from Anderson, Indiana. Elias from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Becca from Lincoln University, Pennsylvania. Lowell from Yakima, Washington. Don from Charleston, Illinois. John from Ford, Australia. Good on you, Mike. And Dave from Willen Lane, United Kingdom. Congrats.